to Judging Book Covers Podcast, a bi-weekly book club podcast where I bring on two guests to read a book suggested by one of the guests. This week I am joined by Don Gildenmeister and Liz Babish. How are you guys doing? I'm good. Thanks for asking. How are you? <laughs> good. <laughs> I'm also doing great. <laughs> good. <laughs> uh, this week we read Stiff, The Curious Lives of Human Cadavers. At, uh, by Mary Roach uh, at Dawn's suggestion. Dawn, why'd you pick this book? So I uh, have a true crime. I don't know if you'd call it like, <laughs> I don't want to call it like a thing because it sounds like I'm creepy, but uh, <laughs> no, it's a thing. It's fine. And passion. Uh, no, that's worse. It's, a, it's a passion maybe <laughs> that I'm into people getting hurt. No, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> So I'll give you a quick, quick background. So once upon a time, I was a very wide-eyed undergraduate, and (laughs) I decided that I wanted to be a criminologist. So I focused in college on criminology and went to graduate school for criminology as well. Okay. And I still am very fascinated by the field. Granted, I have greatly departed from that, as that's not what I'm doing as an adult now. However, I do appreciate anything about it that I can consume, so to speak, because it's enjoyable to me to see how other people have dealt with similar situations that I've dealt with in my internships and through my coursework. Very cool. So do you read true crime? Is that kind of your go-to genre for reading or... I would say yes, more so than no. Obviously, true crime or anything like uh, the Tanya French series I'm currently kind of going through right now as well. Uh, Any kind of media documentaries, like I'm just extremely fascinated by it. Uh, The pathology of criminal behavior has been something that, honestly, I would probably leave my career now if I had an opportunity (laughs) to to work in it. Okay. Uh, just because it's something that I enjoy. However, I have a pretty good job, so I probably won't be doing that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I enjoyed being not only an academic facilitator of it. When I used to teach um, community college, I was a college professor for about four years. And I oh, taught wow. criminology amongst a bunch of other subjects. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I just loved it. I only ended up not doing it because the economy failed. <laughs> and uh, people weren't really hiring for that field when yes. I needed to get a job. So Sounds like way too many people these days. Yeah. Um, Liz, is this something that you would normally pick up or... Uh... Way out in left field for you. <laughs> it's not It's not completely out in left field for me, but it is okay. something that I normally wouldn't pick up. I, I don't read a lot of nonfiction, honestly. So this was sort of in my wheelhouse in terms of outside interests. And from when I saw uh-huh. uh, like one character reading it on Six Feet Under 10 years ago, um, <laughs> that's when I remembered it. Um, but it was really interesting to me. Um, I like some of the crime stuff, but I like mine more law and order flavored than (laughs) nitty gritty. Um, I get that. (laughs) But I, I, yeah, you have to do a lot of uh, removal of yourself to deal with some of the actual context. Yes. Which, yeah, uh, she talks about too in the, in the book, which I found really, really interesting. But Mm. yeah, it's a little, a little different than what I would usually read, but. Not too far. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely. Um, I remember when it came out. I remember thinking it was fascinating. Um, my mom read it, and when she told me she read it, I kind of vaguely remember her reading it. This is not a book I could have picked up until probably the past few years because anything medical has always made me super queasy. And mm. um, I made the mistake of eating a few times while reading this. Oh no! So yeah, that I don't recommend. <laughs> Uh, yeah, if you have any kind of um, issue with that, you should not read this book. Yeah, it's, it's actually pretty fairly graphic. And going back, uh, so this book came out the year I was in graduate school mm-hmm. for criminology. <laughs> and <laughs> it was not a book we had to read, but it was a book that I remember my professor talking about yeah, a lot. I, I'm curious, I 
meant to text one of my friends who uh, worked, well, she's a doctor, so it's not anything like too much with cadavers, but I'm, I am curious how this is, this represents the field, I guess, or if it's a uh, consider, like, it seems to be enough detail and overview. I mean, obviously not enough that like any of us want to go or understand how to go cut up bodies right now, but um, <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> but if it's a nice representation, like of the field, rather than kind of, I don't want to say look down upon, but you know, I mean, if was you, it dumbed down or not? Yeah. So I, I am curious as to how. I mean, it seems like it's been, for the most part, received very well, as have almost all of her books. Um, I was very surprised I mean, to find out she's not a science scientist really I mean she's got a degree in psychology but uh not a not like a I can't remember what those are called those are social sciences rather than science (laughs) hard sciences versus soft sciences yeah she didn't go she doesn't have a degree in any heart like of the hard scientists which is interesting yeah Yeah, Like, like I mean my background is in soft sciences as well Mine was all very much theoretical with applied behavioral sciences is what actually my master's degree is in. Okay. And speaking from somebody who, again, I'm kind of armchairing it because it's been several years now since I said <laughs> I went to grad school in 2004. <laughs> uh, it's, I would say she did a very human kind version of what you would experience watching a lot of these different things I've been to autopsies I've been to crime scenes <laughs> I've dealt with um, people that have passed on to whatever is next that have been in different states of rigor morris uh, <laughs> it's pretty accurate I mean I've I've seen several I think three total autopsies and I think shaking the way my she... head. I'm good. I'm so good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it definitely takes a separation of self. And that wasn't something that I really appreciated about her calling out. Because I remember the first time I ever had to go to a crime scene where I saw a dead body mm-hmm. for the first time. Like a not in a casket dead body, like a legit <laughs> super naturally dead body (laughs) okay (laughs) and I felt that the way she described it and the way that she described dealing with cadavers or any of the other flowery words that were used to (laughs) make situations objective which you have to do in this field you just have to uh I I don't think anybody can work in it actively and say oh, sure, this is a human. <laughs> uh, it's extremely something that I don't think you're going to last long if that's how you see everybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, was, I don't know if I could do that. <laughs> there was a particular phrase that stuck with me. I don't remember exactly which point it was. I could find it. But uh, where something is described, like the skin is described as Japanese rice paper, mm-hmm. which I don't know why that stuck with me so hard of like, it was right before the, the this little section that's ends with um, you tell yourself these things, and it was all about how you cope with it. And even just her coming in to to write about it had a way of distancing herself from it. Yeah, yeah, there were um, a few too many food metaphors for me. <laughs> that being one of them. In the early chapters, no. they were pretty heavy. Yes. There's a point where she says uh, whole pig versus pork chop. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, I don't really eat pork because I'm, like, pseudo-Jewish, but mm-hmm. I honestly, like, so the reason why I felt like that that stuck out to me so much, the whole pig versus, like, pork chop, my parents owned a restaurant growing up uh. when I was growing up, not when they were growing up, and... I used to have to go to the slaughterhouse to get the meat. Oh. So I would regularly hear, hear animals being butchered. And 
I had a huge like issue with eating animals for most of my like teens to like mid 20s. I'm still kind of gun shy about it. Like I'll eat fish pretty welcomely because like we didn't, I didn't hear (laughs) fish die. (laughs) But uh, hearing a pig die is one of the worst sounds. Like combined with like a cow is probably up there as well. And one of the like this is something my husband constantly laughs about. But like I can't eat food on a bone because it makes me feel like it's too human. I get that. And it it really kind of resonated with what she said, though, about the fact that, like, if somebody presented an entire pig carcass to you and said, eat it, I would be like, no, I'm freaking great. Like, (laughs) I'm hard passing on this. Where's the asparagus? Yeah. (laughs) Or on the flip side, if it, like, comes to your plate and it just looks like these little cute pieces of meat that are, you know, cooked to whatever level you want, you're going to be like, that's fine. I'll eat it. (laughs) Yeah, I had my first moment of a... And, and I, I actually tweeted about it where I think it was during the decomposition uh, essay where I was like, I understand vegetarians right now. <laughs> like, I get it. I understand why you make the switch. Still not going to do it. But I, I, yeah, it was a moment of like, I think I ended up getting a biscuit for breakfast because I was like, nothing else is going to sit well. So. It's hard. It really is. I mean. It used to blow my mind when I worked in the the crime lab as an intern how they would, like, go through an autopsy and be like, who wants a steak or whatever? And I'm, like, looking at these people, like, uh, I just would like to go home and eat some soup. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Broth, probably. (laughs) Like, I don't want anything. But you become so accepting to it because it is your job and honestly you want the people that are okay with it to do that job like uh one of the big reasons in my life I've been asked why I didn't pursue it more heavily because I obviously could have since it was my study uh at the time when I was studying it and this is like the weirdest hill to die on to some people but I didn't want to have to be a police officer I get that yeah I totally and and most Uh, crime lab employees have to spend some time. Right. And I didn't want to deal with that. I didn't want to do that personally. And it wasn't something that I had really considered as part of my career path. I prefer the pathology and study and to move to a city that required or didn't require, but to move to a city that was, more open to that at the time wasn't really something I was going to consider. I get that. I've got plenty of cops in my family and it is something very early in life that I went, "Mm, yeah, this is not for me. So I uh, (laughs) understand that mentality. I mean, that's, it's a hard life. So it's an uh, extremely hard life and it puts you in situations that you don't want to be in. Exactly. And my personal moral compass is I'm I'm hard passing on that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this book um, is the first nonfiction we've had. So it's a little hard. There's not really like a summary we can do um, other than the book talks about cadavers. <laughs> Lots of dead um, bodies. Yes. Uh, it is broken down into 12 topics or essays. I always call them essays, um, especially because they kind of wrap up fairly well. And uh, made a list of what they are. The first one is on cosmetic surgery, on uh, specifically on heads. Um, the second one is on body snatching and early cadaver collecting. Mm-hmm. The third one is on decomposition, which I am having trouble with that word tonight for whatever reason. <laughs> um, the fourth was cars and cadavers, and then airplane crash sites and cadavers, uh, army testing, crucifixion, which I still don't get that chapter exactly what they were doing. But As a okay. lapsed Catholic, I really appreciated that chapter. <laughs> I mean, I appreciated it. It is also the one that made me the most ill. So it was the one that I was like, I am powering through this so As much. As a half-assed Jew, I was super confused, but I understood it. <laughs> um, and then it's on the cadaver hearts versus brains and the soul 
and being buried alive and then solely on the head and um, head transplants. Mm-hmm. Um, and then cannibalism, new forms of burial, I guess, and the author, the author's views on her own, what she plans to do. So it's kind of an interesting cross section. It's not specifically just what are they used for, um, though I appreciated learning about things that weren't just medical. Um, cause personally, like I never realized that they were used for car testing. <laughs> that was, uh, an interesting, I think that might've actually been my favorite essay to read. So, um, what about you guys? <laughs> well, I, um, one of the most parts for me, besides the crucifixion one, which I loved and the, <laughs> and the, also the, um, the, the, the resting of the soul and where that, um, yeah, this was really compelling and interesting to me seeing like scientists take that to task. Um, again, with the, the lapsed Catholic thing, I think that ties in together, <laughs> but like where the soul resides is, is, is super interesting and how they narrow it down to, you know, our modern definition of it being clearly in the brain. And that's when you can be declared, you know, dead, dead and still keep your body alive, but it's not the same. That was so fascinating yeah. to me, you know, that it's brain death, but that's the legal definition of death and that your yeah, heart is still about, beating. Uh, so they talk about a patient H, I think. Yeah, it was that, H. Yeah, patient H. Uh, that is uh, brain dead, but the rest of her body is still functioning um, and they end up doing surgery on her i mean it's a very weird kind of yeah because she's interesting they extract yeah. the organs that yeah can be available to other people that need them yeah uh yeah. so am i allowed to add in some stuff yeah go yes. ahead okay <laughs> yeah so it was interesting that you brought that up because that was something that um uh so they're it's like around page 170 there's a lot of dialogue about the cadaver not being cadaver yet and if it means anything when parts of the body are still functioning but the person itself is vacant Mm -hmm. and not trying to bring the mood down since we're all like (laughs) laughing but uh he talks about uh not he well the doctor specifically is a he but the author talks about how there are different versions of testing or experiments so to speak that they would do (laughs) to determine if a person was alive or not Mm -hmm. and by alive meaning like were they registering any type of like neurotransmitters of their their nerves and or muscles and when my dad went into the hospital he had broken a rib and punctured his lung. And okay. he went into the ICU because that's kind of a big deal. <laughs> and the following day, he had actually thrown a blood clot into his brainstem. Oh, but geez, his heart was completely fine, just chugging along. And my mom was really not okay with this, like, is he dead? Is he not? Kind of <laughs> quandary. Right. Yeah. And this was like in 2006 and they still did the test where they go into the, the like oh, wow. cuticle to, de- yeah. to basically demonstrate to my mom that he has no neuroreceptors. Yeah. Wow. And that other than the fact that his heart is beating, his brain is completely gone. Oh, that's. It was awkward. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. However, <laughs> it's interesting that this technology, so to speak, yeah. has not evolved <laughs> whatsoever. Like, how do we call someone dead or not? And, you know, it made me kind of even question thinking back on it. Like, is it your brain or your heart that keeps you alive? Mm-hmm. And that's something that I felt like the author was really demonstrating through all the chapters in some way, shape or form. Yeah, definitely. I mean, she talked about the beating heart cadavers and how your brain can literally survive outside of its body. I mean, that was my dad. Like, yeah. he was totally, he he was a beating heart cadaver for three days. That's crazy. 
Um, it was extremely, you know, it wasn't one of those situations that you would wake up and be like, ah, I'm going to handle this today. But yeah. yeah. On and the that, flip side, though, like it makes you really kind of take into question, like, what is that that line when medical science says this is a living human? Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, you were going to say something. Oh, no, I was just going <laughs> to say that it's 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 different, too. You know, when you're reading it in a in a book, and that it can be, oh, this is where, this is where the legal thing is, and this is where medical science says, and then also being the one in the room, to like process that is completely and totally different. Well, and that was one of the fascinating things about my situation was, obviously, from just our short conversation, you you both know that I've had some armchair-esque level of knowledge (laughs) regarding this stuff and my mom and sister clearly hadn't right right so trying to be like a family member who's grieving the situation and then on the flip side being like no medically this is not making any sense anymore (laughs) so we should probably just stop this extremely hard to navigate Oh, I can. And I actually have a lot more respect now for doctors. <laughs> right. And medical professionals that work with people in this situation because it's such a hard thing to communicate to yeah. a grieving person that is attached to this person. Right. Which she does kind of the the addressing it to a grieving person kind of goes over in one of the earlier um, essays, I think it's in the first one, uh, especially on how they're trying to kind of get away from cadaver use um, because it is desensitizing not in uh, the correct way. So it is interesting. Um, yeah. Utmost respect for doctors because there's no way in hell I could ever do any of this. <laughs> I mean, it's a hard thing. I mean, like, I remember when, I mean, my dad was still alive when I was going to school. Mm -hmm. And my parents were often like, what did, what did we do to you? (laughs) Like, why, why were you interested in this stuff? Uh, And it was nothing that was done to me. It was literally just, I mean, if anything was done to me, if you want to call it that, and it might even be something that the author talks about in other books because I know she she's written several it's really just people there's certain people that just want to seek out information and I am I hate I hate to say it because it sounds really negative but I'm the youngest person on both sides of my family okay uh So what I mean by that is my parents had me in their 40s and by proxy, all of my cousins are like 60 plus years old and I'm not even close to that in any way, shape or form. So I've been going to funerals since I was like tiny. So death became very normal to me and was like normalized in a lot of ways that this was just a normal thing that happened and it is. Uh, And I think that Unfortunately, people don't understand that, like, death isn't necessarily, like, even with my father's death, like, I was really at peace with it because even though it sucked, which it did because I liked my dad, (laughs) like, he was a cool dude, but, like, (laughs) it's also just something that happens. And a lot of people, I think, that are maybe kind of, like, closed off from that have a much harder time understanding that it has greater purpose. Right. Like, my dad was an organ donor. Uh, The downside was because of his medical conditions, he was unable to actually do anything. Yeah, Uh, that is why I am not an organ donor, because nobody wants my parts. Right. I mean, everybody's (laughs) got their things, you know? And and I went to a a college that had a very large medical school, so it was really interesting reading about those parts, too. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, it was actually – I learned – um, fairly young that donating you can't just donate your body to science like they actually do have stringent information like I mean she briefly touches on it in the book but like you cannot be like you have to fit in a box that they want and otherwise they don't want you yeah you have to be the there. only thing I thought 
Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, you have to like be in the later on. She's talking about herself and what she would do. And there was this program in Michigan that she was interested in, but you had to like be there. And she goes, well, having yeah. my family ship my body to Michigan is just silly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. No. And like, I mean, even like my, the college, my alma mater, like, it sounds so like prissy when you say it. My alma mater. <laughs> but, Go for it. <laughs> but like they had a very large medical program and it's probably even though I don't have strong ties to it, I probably would mm-hmm. donate my body there just because they have a very open policy. Right. Like they're just pretty much like bring it. <laughs> <laughs> and not there's like I think there's a problem with the misconception of being an organ donor versus donating your body to science. Yeah, they're definitely two different things. Organ, exactly. Yeah. Um, and don't let. Uh, so this is my quick soapbox. Um, <laughs> I was an organ donor until I got sick, um, and there's like I like I've actually talked to people. Don't let someone bully you into being an organ donor if like you know for some reason you cannot be or if it's something that you're actually, you know, uncomfortable with or against like we need them. Yes, but don't let someone shame you because you can't do it. Yeah. So yeah. just like my quick soapbox for box from one of the times I had to renew my license and someone got snotty. No. And, uh, she's never going to listen to this, but don't get snotty. <laughs> oh my god! I just re-signed my card because I forgot that I checked it off on my license mm-hmm. application, and I had to pull out my license for something, and it wasn't signed or checked. So, oh but, no! But it, it is now, and don't worry, Megan, I got it covered. <laughs> if they I want my mine... crappy body parts, <laughs> I think mine says like you can have my skin, and uh, um, I think like my eyes or something. But it was like everything else was like you just you're not going to want it. Like, I promise. Yeah, I don't know what they would do with me. I feel like I would be better as an experiment. <laughs> um, like, so I'm basically see. legally blind. Like, <laughs> Yeah, just cut me up. It's okay. You can use yeah. me for cars. I've had enough experience with cars. Yeah, my cars, um, airplanes, fine. I'm good. Like, do whatever. <laughs> yeah, the airplane thing was fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um that was one of, I think, the most interesting essays that she had in the yeah. entire anthology, so to speak. Yeah, it was. Uh, I work in aviation insurance and still had no idea that, it, like, somewhere in her line, or down the line, someone's using cadavers. Um, and also don't want that job. Uh, the other. So um, I'm from, or I lived in Georgia. And. Uh, my parents went to Michigan or Michigan, Memphis State, and uh, I was actually talking to my mom, and she doesn't remember this, but when I was applying for colleges, I, I made a joke about applying to University of Tennessee, and was told I would be uh, forced to live in the shed. And she still, she was like, "I think you took that too serious." I was like, <laughs> "Okay, thank you." No, but because uh, I, I, I ended up texting her and was like, "Thanks for not letting me apply to University of Tennessee." And she knows I'm reading this, and she's like, "The Body Farm." And then my sister, who always had an interest in um, forensic anthropology, was also like, "The Body Farm." I was like, "How do you guys <laughs> know about this? Like, I had no idea this was a thing that existed." And I'm entirely grossed out and they're both like yeah but if we could go see it we would <laughs> so I mean it's I mean my college had a very tiny body farm oh. it was I want to say like maybe 30 by 125 feet they would maybe have one or two cadavers out there at a time <laughs> they focused more so on the experiences of a cadaver post-death so not seeing necessarily elements but just the breakdown in cellular tissue uh but we have like a huge uh, where i went to college we have a huge cemetery i mean i remember and i hate to say cracking up but i lived in the dorms for all four years uh because i went to college several hours away from where i grew up and people would be so like Oh, I went jogging and I came across a headstone and I'm like, this is a 500 acre (laughs) college campus. We have a medical school. 
there are dead bodies everywhere. <laughs> like, yeah. just move on from it. <laughs> you like, probably have stepped in it without realizing it. Right. I mean, we have a very large medical cemetery. <laughs> and then there's like a pavement, or not a pavement, there's a path throughout our campus with all the bricks of all the people that have donated their name, like their bodies to science, their names are on them. Oh, that's really cool. That is. And yeah, it is. It is really neat. And I always, even though I was not in that hard sciences category, I really appreciated the fact that my college really tried to like have ownership. And actually one of the things I, I wrote down about this book was I think there was a point very early on actually where, uh, the author kind of captured what a student wrote during the memorial service. Oh, yeah. that made me cry. Same it here. totally made me cry. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I was sitting on the subway and that made me cry. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only person who cries on the subway because I totally teared up too. <laughs> I mean, if I was on a subway, I would have cried too. So does that count? Yeah. That, yes. that, it was the poem, right? That you were, or the, yeah, the, yeah. It was yeah. so like, because you know what? Like, I mean, not to be totally morbid, but the first time I ever saw an entire autopsy happen and after following the story of what occurred, because it was like a de- it was I don't want to say it was a decent story, but it was a new it was a newsworthy story and it, okay. it gained a lot of media attention in like the market. I felt very t- connected to that cadaver. And I still look up the case because it's sort of still ongoing. Gotcha. And it definitely struck me in a way that I wasn't expecting. <laughs> yeah. No, I get that. Yeah. And I wasn't even doing all the stuff they were doing. I was literally just watching it. And uh, because, you know, small town Ohio, basically, <laughs> they were like, oh, you can photograph. So I was the one who did all the photography oh. for the autopsy. <laughs> So like like the they were formal used... photography, yeah. Like, oh wow, that's really cool. They're, they were like, oh, you can just do this, and it was, <laughs> and it, and mind you, I'm I'm not trying to be like rude when I say this, but it wasn't even that small of a town. Like Ohio is just <laughs> weird. <laughs> <laughs> that's what that is something I've heard before. I'm sure it's not the yeah. last time I'll hear that. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah, <laughs> they're just like, oh, you're an intern. <laughs> Why not? Just don't throw up. It's another. It's for another podcast, but I can definitely talk to you about other weird times where I was just handed guns and stuff and told to be like, just shoot if you see anybody. And I'm like, that's fine, I guess. No. Yeah, this this suburban New Jersey girl is like, what is that even? What is that like? <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> not New Jersey, but definitely suburban and like. Was like, oh, you just threw a Glock in my lap. I guess I'll figure out what the hell to do oh, with that. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh. It was a weird experience. It was a weird summer. I'll say that. <laughs> it was six months, but the summer was the weirdest part. So if you guys had to write your own book on a hard science, what would it be? That might actually be a little bit too hard of a question. <laughs> Just give me, just give me. No, I asked that. It was like, oh shit, I don't have an answer for myself. (laughs) Um, well, I guess I could talk a little bit about that. I would do something involving space. Okay. Um, Probably most likely about um, moons, like uh, planetary moons, like any other kind of moon, right? Um, (laughs) Just because. Because there's so there's so many and they're so interesting and it would be really nice to learn more about stuff like I've surface level things because I, in general, right. really enjoy space. Um, uh, but I'm, I'm a big am, space fan. Yeah, but I'm a lit in history major, so Same. that never went my way. <laughs> um, some yeah, like just in the astronomy or you know space travel even sort of realm would be interesting to me that'd be cool yeah I guess that wasn't that hard (laughs) yeah you came up with that way too quickly um boom boom (laughs) (laughs) she's covered a few do you do you want me to say something I mean if you know what you want to do go right ahead oh yeah so for me specifically uh space big fan (laughs) love space uh 
<laughs> that was like the only reason why I probably got out of undergrad because I found out physics allows you to study space. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> for general education. And I was like, I got this shit. I can find some planets and some stars. <laughs> and I've just always been fascinated with it. I mean, I was of the age group where Sally Ride was a big proponent of our mm-hmm. education in second grade. And I was... We share the same thing. Oh, That's nice. awesome. That's I so found cool. that out. and I, Sorry, I had to jump in there, but it's the coolest fact no, about me is great. that Sally Ride oh, was that one is, of I'm that just happy that somebody knew what I was talking about because so many people were like, who the fuck Sally Ride? Oh, Wait, can really? I swear on this? Yeah, you can swear. You're good. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you should tell them, like, read a fucking book. <laughs> right. Read a damn book. Exactly. But no, like, there are so many, like, we have um, a great museum in, in Chicago that has a huge space exhibit. And, like, I went with my husband not too long ago, and, like, I just geeked out so hard. And he was just, like, so – he just enjoyed it by proxy because, (laughs) like, I remember being an astronaut being the first thing I ever read as a child saying, like, women can work in hard sciences. Mm -hmm. Right. And of that generation, that didn't really happen often. Like, I was told from a very young age, like, be a nurse, be a teacher. And I'm like, okay, cool. (laughs) Don't want to be a nurse, so I guess I'll be a teacher. And that's what I ended up doing by proxy. But but anyways, so getting back to the thing. So it would totally be, like, a physics astronomy-based thing if I felt like I had the brain capacity to do it. (laughs) On the flip side, I would totally 100% still go into – cultural forensic anthropology oh yeah i as weird as it sounds and as creepy as it sounds just trying to figure that stuff out i i enjoy it i like trying to solve in a sense a puzzle but the reason why is because i want to make sure that somebody that's related to that puzzle gets a resolution right yeah i get that the forensic mm. stuff, I think, is becoming more and more accepted. Like, I, I never realized that it was apparently weird to not like that stuff. Um, but Oh, I was <laughs> one of, um, okay, so my graduate program for uh, behavioral sciences maybe had 45 people in it, and I was, like, one of four women. Oh, wow. Any idea and if that number's increased at your uh, school or your alma mater? It's about half now. Okay, that's Which good. is pretty great. I, I do keep in contact with some of my previous faculty. That's good. Uh, but, I mean, I will tell you that when I worked my internship that I experienced some straight-up trashy, trashy sexism. Oh, I mean, yeah, anything that's still male-dominated. Uh is unfortunately going to have. Um, I got told many times I should just go marry somebody. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, speaking of sexism, there was one thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so curious where you're going with this. Do in, that, in, the, in the book that I found really interesting, I, I wrote it down. <laughs> um, it was in the, in the post-op um, section where she's describing about how patients deal with things after they get the organs. Sometimes they think they have, if they have their heart, yes. you know, they feel their mm-hmm. personalities. But the thing that I wrote down more importantly than that is um, that post-op transplant men get super horny, like super <laughs> horny. She, ta- <laughs> she talked about it because like he would, they, the nurses always talked about how they would whip it out and stuff. After yep. it, that was the craziest fact that I've ever heard to me, but I guess but psychologically it, it makes sense, but it's still crazy. Also the weird things that bodies do after you die. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was it's little... kind of like up there with things like when you have children that people don't tell you what happens to your body while yeah. you're having them. Yeah. Never it's kind of how I feel about dead bodies. <laughs> um. Yeah, go back to the the, the organ transplant. Um, I remember reading stuff about that as a kid where, like, you know, someone would get someone's liver and suddenly they crave candy all the time, even though they never liked sweets before. And, like, I, I, I knew it always felt more into the paranormal, not maybe not paranormal, but I guess 
whatever hard to prove side but it was a little like sad to as a you know adult to be like oh maybe there really is no fact base in this at all you you mean the film (laughs) the eye is not a documentary about a like haunted (laughs) i forgot about transplanted eye was jessica was it jessica alba it was jessica alba oh my god <laughs> Sorry, I had that to drop a, it. No, that was a wonderful deep cut. Of a, like really bad horror movie. You're welcome. That's why you guys keep me around. <laughs> um there was something else I found very fascinating too, where they talked about uh the claims of immortal preservation. Oh yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, specifically somebody <laughs> would sit with his mom every six months and have lunch with them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And by have yeah. lunch with them, I mean, he just sat there and ate lunch and checked to see if his mom had died or had decomposed. It was too. Yeah. They super died. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what you want to call that. Like, um, well, morticians used to claim that coffins would preserve for. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and it um, was to prove that it was not. Or to sue, I guess. She ended up with a beard? Yeah. She did, from mold. From mold, yeah. Yeah. And then, like, I thought it was super fascinating, on top of that, when you go a little bit deeper in, where they talk about how so many people prefer burial to cremation. And, I mean, obviously, I'm not dead, so I haven't been cremated (laughs) yet. But I don't see the appeal of laying in a box (laughs) or a tomb at all yeah it is interesting i am curious if those numbers have shifted they definitely Uh, because this book is sorry now 14 years old yeah and they definitely have there's no way i mean i can't back that up with facts but i just i feel like everyone that i know that gets buried is over a certain age and that yeah. when things happen when you're younger or even, like, when my father passed away, we cremated him. And he's still hanging around. My dad's at, in my garage. My dad's <laughs> in my closet at my mom's house. So <laughs> I have to do something with that. But um, It's cool. Yeah. I mean, my, my dad's literally in my garage because my mom didn't want to take him. Yeah. <laughs> so I put him in the garage because I'm like, what the hell am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> I mean, I just feel bad that he's sitting in his ex-wife's house. Like, it might, it might be oh, a little bit. <laughs> Does she know? No, she knows. She knows okay. that, I left him, that I left him there. He must be behaving himself. Um. No, I, I totally feel you. I mean, my dad's just chilling in there. In fact, my husband had to be like, yeah, your dad's in the garage. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, jeez. Yeah, my mom like, did okay, remind well, I won't me. knock that over. <laughs> My mom did remind me, like I like, well, I was going to be insulted that she thought I forgot. But <laughs> just a reminder: you need to get your dad out of the yeah, closet please, at some point. <laughs> um, well, speaking of which, if I <laughs> go right I'll, ahead, I'll here because but having these uh, like cremains around and everything like that really was making me think too. Because at the end of the book, or the second to last essay, is about like different types. Mm-hmm of mm-hmm. you know taking care of the dead bodies and um <laughs> the one that struck me so much was um the you know what they called in various ways like the ecological funeral yeah um which was uh, i looked up the company actually promessa uh, it was a swedish company it's still existing and they okay. have a u.s quote ambassador you know from the company trying to like earn goodwill here uh, as of July this year. Um, oh, really? And that process ended really cool and interesting to me. So what they talk about is um, freeze-drying of a body, which takes about a year. I think sh- she said that the hu- it takes one year to freeze-dry a human being. Mm-hmm. And then they take ultrasonic uh, waves and break you apart. And mm-hmm. then you get to be in soil and you can create something out of that. So you could become food for flowers or for a tree. So even your family members can like grow something that is your yeah. essence into a tree. Or something. And I found that so interesting 
that I even just signed up as a person that's interested in this today. Oh, that's really cool. Right before we recorded. Yeah, I was like, oh, I'll give I my I kind of want that link. That would be something I'd be interested in, Yeah, too. I'll send it yeah, to you. Same. Yeah, I'll link it. I'll, I I'll mean, give I it wa- to you for the show notes and, too, and stuff like that. Yeah, please like, do. I, I just want someone to, like, see if they can take anything from my body. But then afterwards, yeah, I can totally be, like, a petunia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You could definitely pro- – You, I'm sure you could do both. Probably, Especially with yeah. some some so many yeah, organs. Yeah, I don't want to take right up away. actual space. Yeah, yeah. They'll freeze dry some like... now and take the rest out, and then yeah. freeze dry. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like I mean, so I know, know Megan that you grew up in the South, and mm-hmm. I'm sure you maybe have experienced Southern funerals. Um, a little bit. I mean, I'm. My, my family's fairly young, so... Uh, oh, okay. Well, then you're good. <laughs> yeah, like, the the two funerals that I can think of off the top of my head, like, family-wise, were both uh, uh, military men, so there's... Okay, you know, so definitely. That's completely have you, different. Have you seen Still Magnolias? <laughs> uh, not in a very, very long time, but yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's kind of how funerals rolled in my family. Gotcha. <laughs> and... I just am like, there's so much pomp and circumstance involved. It's so expensive. Yeah. And honestly, like, even with my father's funeral, like, he could have been in an urn or a box or whatever. Like, we had a viewing, but it was just three hours of people telling me they liked my dad. No one cared about what was up in the front of the room. Yeah, yeah. The, she does briefly touch on that, that, that there's a mm-hmm. difference between dying and death and the dead. Um, and uh, actually, I, I don't know, but my copy of the book's over there. Um, she discusses the politeness of death, yes. which is actually like the first uh, like book club question. And it is, it is, it is awkward to be at a funeral. I, like a, I went to one this year. And whoever can make those better, like, you'll make so much money. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, I, I mean, obviously, I, I hope I don't die anytime soon. But <laughs> I wouldn't want to subject anybody to, like, the ritualistic aspect of, like, modern yeah. American funeral. So this might be a bit of a difficult question, but usually uh, we, we started having a, a drink for the book. Um <laughs> A couple episodes, or not a couple, it's been a few episodes now. Um, so, Don, do you have a drink that goes with this book? I mean, Corpse Survivor is a pretty safe one. What is that? Oh, geez, you're going to make me look it up? Oh, no, just like a, if you know it off the top of your head. If not, otherwise, I'll look it up. It's fine. I don't drink as much. Actually, I've never been a big drinker, so what was outside it? of... Uh, cheap beer and shots. <laughs> it was a corpse Which what? Is- Corpse Reviver. So there's two of them specifically. Uh, it's kind of called Hair of the Dog. It's like what you deal with when <laughs> okay. you yeah. don't feel great. Uh, See, that's when I make hot toddies. Is there so. gin in that? There's there's gin yeah. in that, right? There's totally gin in that. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good for it. <laughs> right. No, they're, Megan's they're groaning good. and I'm like, yeah, give me that gin. <laughs> I worked at a bar for about a year and the smell of gin and tequila still brings back flashbacks. Like I can do both, but I choose not to unless and I just have to, but it's usually cognac. It's usually cognac, apple brandy, and vermouth. That's one version. Mm-hmm. Okay. And there's two versions normally. The second version is gin. <laughs> Lemon juice, mm-hmm. absinthe, a dash. Just a dash. <laughs> Just a smidge. Just a smidge. Just a smidge. Now, is this American Just absinthe or is this European absinthe? <laughs> I'm assuming it's American. <laughs> and a bunch of other stuff I can't pronounce because <laughs> You're I good. speak French very well. <laughs> you are good. <laughs> But I will say that both the Corpse Reviver 1 and 2 are both good drinks. I prefer the second one with gin. Okay. And they you said they're also called Hair of the Dog. Are they for the next morning? Uh, yeah, kind drink? of. Is this a brunch drink? 
after I'm, Saturday uh, nights? It is and it isn't. I mean, <laughs> often, like, at least here, they're served at cocktail bars. They're just kind of a known thing. <laughs> yeah, I was going like to say that sounds like a... Like a Hemingway cocktail is usually... Yeah. Go ahead. That's No, I was going to say that sounds like a lot of booze for a for a morning cocktail. <laughs> like having a, a Long Island iced tea. Yeah, for breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, Chicagoans are kind of alcoholics. <laughs> we uh, drink a lot. It's depressing just, here. <laughs> all I can think of is uh, absent any time when you're not already just drunk. <laughs> My favorite bar serves this on the regular. Oh, nice. Which probably says a lot about me. <laughs> uh, well, anything else you guys want to add before we move on to talking about uh, what you're going to be reading next and what we're going to be reading next? I think I'm good. I have, I have okay, I won't. I won't add anything but... else. We're good. <laughs> Are you sure? I'm fine. I'm just. Hey, yeah. I'm like I mean, a Southern Belle over here. <laughs> you you're are. just watching too much Dynasty. <laughs> Honestly, that's you probably are. what's going on. So next episode, we're going to be reading Liz's book, which is uh, Annihilation by Jeff Vandermeer. Yes. <laughs> which I am surprised this book has like completely escaped me because it sounds totally up my alley. Uh, but it is the first book of the Southern Reach series, which means absolutely nothing to me. But I am excited to find out what that means. Um, yeah, other like... than, I'm sure I will. Yeah. Uh, other than the book for the podcast, what are you guys going to be reading next? Uh, if anything, uh, right now I actually just started, um, there's a short novella that Jeff Vandermeer wrote, uh, that was like <laughs> a follow-up to a book he just put out called born. Uh, this novella is called the strange bird. So I just started okay. that, but it's really short. Um, and I have a lot on my plate right now, so I'm also about to start uh, another uh, book of short stories called children of the new world uh, by oh, Alexander cool. Weinstein. Um, I hope it's Weinstein and not Weinstein. If it's not, I apologize. Um, but it's about, <laughs> it, it, they're just short stories about technology and, you know, how that affects us. You know, they're a little black mirror without oh, the perfect. kind of, uh, black mirror creepy. thing <laughs> that like that uh, is... all self-importance kind of thing where it gets a little too okay. much for me with black mirror <laughs> uh god i love black mirror <laughs> <laughs> we could talk off air about that. <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah. yes yeah if you haven't watched black mirror and you like really weird shit give that a shot <laughs> Especially at least the first episode of it and the last episode of season three. Those are my favorites. And San Junipero. Oh, yes, of course. That's very important. Yes. <laughs> yes. Sorry. I think <coughs> Jodie Whittaker. In the... Anyways. Um, yes, I can talk Black Mirror quite a bit. Uh, yeah. Dawn, what are you going to be reading next? I'm in the middle of reading a series from Tanya French. She is an Irish author. Mm-hmm. Her series has been kind of dubbed the Dublin Murder Squad. <laughs> so you can kind of see where my interests lie. <laughs> I, on a whim, so to speak, I was part of like a book of the month club that was like a subscription box, so to speak. Oh, They'd cool. sent me her most recent book and I read it. And one of the nice things about the series is you can just kind of jump in whenever you want. So I read the most recent one. Okay. And I read the first one after that, and the, I'm on the, technically, I read the sixth, I'm on the first, or I finished the first, now I'm on the second. Okay. So that's what I'm reading currently, gotcha. which is called The Likeness. Okay. I remember when that came out. Have you, um, or so are you into, like, crime and mystery, or is it, like, a specific kind, or? <coughs> Sorry. Uh, I mean, I kind of am open to reading anything. Gotcha. My my previous books of this year have been all over the place, actually. <laughs> it's kind of hard to put myself in a, a genre of sorts. Like, I went down a pretty solid rabbit hole of 
space exploration. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Actually, I, uh, in terms of, I, I read an interesting book called the astronauts wives club. Oh yeah. And like a short mini series, like maybe two summers ago was based on it. And it just talked about like what the women of the astronauts in the U S space program dealt with in the early Mm sixties. And, I read th- I read that, which was actually pretty fascinating, just because I'm interested in space, <laughs> uh, hidden figures, which no surprise, right? Yeah, you're putting my nonfiction reading to shame. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, no, it's all uh, good. My next one's not any better than I read. <laughs> uh, finally, Devil in the White City, and Yay. I went on the tour because oh, I live how in was Chicago. That? The tour or the book? yeah, the tour, <laughs> the book. I, I know about. <laughs> okay. The tour was as animated as you you would expect a <laughs> theater student dropout type to do. Gotcha. <laughs> no shade. No shade, really. I mean, it was what it is. But it outlined things about Chicago, and I've lived here almost 10 years, that I wasn't necessarily aware of. Okay. And it tied in the World's Fair, which is like, uh, kind of a pet subject for me. I kind of love the World's Fair, like to a point where it's sad. <laughs> uh, history and like inventions and stuff like that's really also another sub area of my interest. So it was worth going on. All right. Yeah, I've been debating whether or not to do a haunted tour of New York. Like, they have those, like, walking tours. Mm-hmm. I don't know if – have you ever done any of those, lists? I don't know if those interest you at all. I mean, <laughs> they definitely interest me. A hundred percent. Actually, the, uh, the the Mary Roach book I put on my list next is about um, the one that she Spoops. wrote about the afterlife. Yeah. Yes. Because that's definitely up my alley and yes, <laughs> up my interest. same here. I've never done one same. of those tours, but I want to. I would say like I know they would be kitschy and it's not going to result in anything but at the same time like I really I I think we did one either we did one or I really really am making up memories of Savannah I've only been to Savannah once and it was oh no there's one there years ago no I know there is one there but I can't remember if we actually went on it or if like it was something I so wanted to do and now I'm conflating whether or not we did because it's (laughs) probably 20 years since I've been to Savannah um but yeah it's something like I know it's going to be kitschy. I know it's probably for tourists, but I so am probably going to do one this year. Well, I did one in Boston because <laughs> my friend works for the company. So I got oh, cool. to go on her tour as she did it with like a fake Irish accent on, <laughs> you know, and the character, the full blown. And it was it honestly, it's it's cheesy, but it is so fun. And they take around all the cemeteries and like they fake hang someone in the park. Yeah. It's fantastic. Okay, I'm mine wasn't that. Group. I don't know. It. I feel like the guy was over overly theatric, which I could have just like kind of choked him. <laughs> However, the amount of things that I learned were worth it. If that makes sense. No, that's like that's good to hear. Yeah. I mean, because especially just, if the movie ever comes out, if it ever gets out of yeah, like just even understanding yeah. like why they chose where they did to make the like main throughway right like if you because obviously coastal patterns change too right you you don't necessarily think about the fact that like modern day new york city the coast for that is completely different than it was 100 years ago yeah and like i don't know what it was like to look at chicago 100 years ago necessarily so so it was really interesting to hear all of that as well and just kind of go through like the fact that that was for the lack of a better term like modernity (laughs) (laughs) like people were like oh my god like we have this amazing thing happening here and i'm like i don't know like ferris wheel kind of sounded like a death trap (laughs) like i don't know why we got so excited about that but so that's it um well before we wrap it up uh where can people find you if you want them to on the internet uh all right um i wrote this down so i wouldn't forget uh you can follow me on Twitter at Zoe underscore Greystone with an A if yeah, you want. What is that? It's from, it's from a, a little TV show called Caprica. 
that I and about five other people. Oh, I love Caprica. (laughs) Okay, you're my favorite. I'm the seventh person. You're the seventh person. Um, and it just, it started on it like a dare. Like, you better put that on there. I'm like, fine. <laughs> it's been there forever. <laughs> um, but lately, it's just been a lot of political uh, retweets. So might not be that fun. Um, <laughs> but I uh, guest uh, host every once in a while or co-host on a television podcast uh, called Television Takedown. You can find okay. that on iTunes. Stitcher, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And actually, this next episode on the 25th, um, N.K. Jemison's going to be on it, which oh, is cool. like a huge deal. So that's going to be exciting. Yeah. I won't be on that episode, but, but, <laughs> but <laughs> it's still worth checking out. Still worth Real checking quick, what out. Is, uh, what is the podcast about? Um, it's about uh, the host picks uh, a weird episode of television or a bad one. And makes the guests watch it. And then in okay. the second episode, it's flipped and reversed. So I made my oh, friend cool. watch the Shadowhunters premiere. Uh, <laughs> oh. that so if you want to check out that episode, I'm actually pretty proud of that one. Um, so we'll see. Uh, sounds pretty solid. Pardon me? I said it sounds really solid. It is. It's a lot of fun. I, I, it's, is a... it's the most fun that I have doing anything. That interesting choice of all the freeform formerly known as abc family tv shows to pick oh i trust me trust me i will have a conversation again off air about that (laughs) um okay (laughs) and then i'm starting a new podcast sometime in the fall um it'll probably be sometime in september uh, but it'll really kick off in october about um in case you couldn't tell i'm a television person uh dynasty uh, the reboot <laughs> on CW, um, but we'll talk about old stuff. And on off weeks, oh, we're planning sh- to have guests and make them watch <sighs> an episode like out of context. So, if anyone's interested, I didn't in realize it was going to be on CW, which means I will probably watch it. <laughs> okay, don't worry. I'm so excited. <laughs> but that's going to be called uh, "Keeping Up with the Carringtons," and <laughs> it's a great name. I that think you name. have totally like. <laughs> cornered that market so great job Liz <laughs> thank nice. you nice. all right that's it for me okay uh Don where can people find you if you want them to find you so I have a podcast it's called Beckett to the future a quantum leap podcast so for those of you that uh ever saw quantum leap whether in its uh original run on NBC or sci-fi or tbs or any of those other affiliates that carried it my co-host and i go through the leaps that sam experienced but not in the order they aired in we actually go through a chronological history and not only do we really buck the timeline, which probably annoys a ton of people. We also break down all of these socio-cultural, name it, we're breaking it down type of situations that go on, including a lot of white saviorism. And we often have guests. And you can find us at BeckettFuturePod.com and BeckettFuture for Twitter. You can email us at BeckettFuturePod at gmail.com. And also we're on Facebook for Beckett to the Future. And if you really like us, you can find us on iTunes and all of your other podcast (laughs) apps. Awesome. That sounds awesome. Now, were you both fans when you were younger or, I mean, this isn't like someone's first time through too, right? Like no, both okay. of us watched it. Uh, so kind of the premise for myself specifically, this was the show that my mom would watch because I'm pretty sure she thought that Scott Bakula was attractive. <laughs> and for me, it was like, yay, I'm not watching puffy Victorian ladies in fancy hoop skirts on WTTW-esque <laughs> PBS. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which, you know, no shade to that, but as a nine-year-old child, you're like, come on, mom, I like <laughs> science and space. Right. Stop watching Victorian women fan themselves. 
So this was my way. And Rachel had a very similar, my co-host Rachel had a very similar experience watching it. And yeah, it just was one of those things that made me appreciate a lot of science fiction television shows later in life as well. Very cool. Um, well, you can find both of them there and uh, go check out both of their podcasts. Well, sorry, go check out Dawn's podcast. Uh, I have actually not listened to the one you've been on, Liz, but I will definitely be checking out the Dynasty one. Awesome. Um, and and the, the TV one, too. I, I think I've seen you post about it like once or twice. I don't think I realized it was a podcast, though. <laughs> yeah, I'm here for that Dynasty podcast. Cool. Yeah, and definitely. Like, somebody. I'll let you know. Uh, I'm sorry I'll if have, I like... talk too much, but I'm there for you. <laughs> oh, no, it'll be perfect for the Dynasty. Like, I'll show an episode of Dynasty and we can all talk about it. You're going to be perfect. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm totally here for this. Uh, well, you know, if you haven't got enough of me this week, I guess, I don't know. Um, actually, <laughs> you can find me on uh, my other podcast, which is Fableulous Retellings, um, which I do with my friend Mary Lag Angway. Uh, we are actually coming up on the end of season one us which will be out Tuesday and a bit of a longer episode as we try to get through a text adventure game um, that was designed around the Beauty and the Beast and it is a very very weird retelling um, of Beauty and the Beast I will uh, say that now Um, and otherwise you can find us uh, find this podcast um, on Apple Music, Stitcher, Google Music, anywhere you want to find podcasts. Uh, the website is judgingbookcovers.com. We are on Facebook and Twitter at JBC Podcast and Instagram at Judging Book Covers Podcast. Um, and if you're completely adverse to social media, the web, or the web, the email address is judgingcoverspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we'll see you again in two weeks where we're reading uh, Annihilation by Jeff Vandermeer. I hope I'm saying that right. You are. Vandermeer? Okay. 100%. It's as, it's as easy as you would cool. <laughs> I, yeah. I think you've got it. You're fine. <laughs> Names, man. So complicated. <laughs> they uh, are. Thank you guys both again for being on. Thanks for having us. Thank see you. See you guys in two weeks. Bye. Bye. Bye.